0: Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 172. On this episode, I was joined by the head of physical performance at Malmo, Mark Reed. Mark came on and we discussed his transition from working with the academy in a development role to a performance-based position that he's now in with the first team. We talked about Uh, developing the departments that he has at Malmo and how the staffing has progressed over the years it's been seven years since we spoke um, last time since Mark um, sorry it's been seven years since Mark's been there even and quite a few years since we spoke so there's been a lot of changes going on at the club and we also touched on some characteristics that he looks for in staff And I've got to point out, around about the 30-minute mark, there's some absolute gold by Mark in this podcast because he goes into some of the key skills and characteristics for people and coaches that should work with first team and the difference to working with an academy. And I spoke about this before with a few different people, but I think the little clip that Mark, um, or the, the few seconds that Mark goes into, those characteristics is absolute gold so keep an, keep an ear out for that around about the 30 minute mark and then we also discussed Mark's recent um, qualification UEFA B qualification but in Swedish which is pretty damn impressive so big thank you to Mark for coming back on the podcast it's been a long time since it's our first episode I think his first one was way back on episode five so it was really good to catch up with him Just before we get into the episode, I want to say a big thank you to our sponsors. First of all, Black Box Fitness. Black Box are the world's best training, equipment, accessory and apparel brand. Black Box believes that training isn't just a checkbox on your to-do list. Training is a lifestyle, continually seeking your highest performance in the gym on the pitch, at home, and in everyday life. To perform at your best, you need the best, and Black Box has you covered. So make sure you go over to social media and give them a follow at Black Box Fitness. And also a big thank you to Rezl. Rezl is the world's leading cognitive training platform for sport by using VR technology. Rezl and Player 22 can create game style scenarios and recreate pressure to help you prepare for the real thing. And I can say firsthand, it is pretty realistic when you're using the Resil system as well. So make sure you go and check them out on social media. Resil is spelled R-E-Z-Z-I-L. Just finally, before we get into the episode, I just need to give a quick heads up to our upcoming networking event. Our first few tickets have gone for this event now, but it is still available at the early bird price. We've got three brilliant presentations, Wednesday the 16th of February at Everton. We've got senior sports scientist Dave Flower presenting on current perceptions regarding under-23s football. Academy performance psychologist Lewis Charnick is presenting on making, breaking and remaking a multidisciplinary team. And also senior lecturer in sports science at Liverpool Hope University, James Malone, is presenting on the use of cooling therapies for post-exercise recovery. So if you want to come to this event, make sure you act quick because the early bird tickets are soon going to be up to full price. Go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab at the top and you'll be able to purchase an early bird ticket for that event. I hope to see as many of the listeners at that event as possible. Here is the podcast 172 with the Head of Physical Performance at Malmo, Mark Reed. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 172. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Head of Physical Performance at Malmo, Mark Reed. Mark, how are we doing?
1: Good, thank you. And yourself?
0: I'm all good, mate. I'm all good. Now, we've had quite a few back and forths on message recently, but it's been a long, long time since we've properly caught up. So thank you very much for coming on.
1: No worries. At all. yeah, it's been, what was it, 2015, 2016, somewhere there?
0: It, it, probably, yeah. Yeah, probably yeah. back then. I've not actually checked the date of that last one, but it's a fair while ago. And, uh, and people that have, have had a reasonable gap from either speaking to or coming back on the podcast, there's normally loads changed and, like, changed clubs and all the rest of it and you're still at the same club i know i know the situation's changed the roles have changed and stuff so it would be interesting to hear um the differences and i know we're going to get into that in a little bit but i know you did it on the first podcast but do you want to just give us a little bit of background on yourself mate that led you up to the role with malmo
1: yep sure um i'll speed it up this time i think last time i was a bit bit of a long-winded one but yeah <laughs> um cornish boy at heart of course um Went through university, bachelor's, then went to Cardiff to do my master's at Cardiff Met. Um, jumped on an internship at Swansea um, for a year down there, then went to West Brom. Um, another, another little step, went to do an internship there, which was quite varied. You went on different teams, um, 21s, 18s, down with the youngsters, and then a couple of months up with the first team. Um, and then that came to an end that I was um, put in as the under-18 sports scientist when um, a little bit of funding came up for that role. Um, I was there for a little bit. And then just randomly a job came up at Malmo. Um, and I think it was um, through, yeah, connection of, of the fitness coach at Malmo, who was with the Premier League at the time. Um, and I don't know what really made me go for it, but it, was, it wasn't really a question in my mind. It was, all right, just put your CV in, let's go for it. It wasn't, should I should it was like I'm going for this job? Um managed to get an interview, flew over on the day of the interview, drove down to London, and flew over, was a couple hours late for the interview because the flights were a nightmare. Um and I think I said this on the last podcast. It was it was really nice weather as I turned up, which it is not. I'm looking out my window now, it's super grey over here now. <laughs> um, and then yeah, so it was a quick, quick interview with the sporting director and head of academy and head of fitness, flew back that day and then got a phone call the next day to say, yeah, we'd like you to come over. Um, Handed in my notice at West Brom, it was coming up the end of the season. I think there was like a two-week period where I had time to go back to Cornwall, see the folks. And then I was flying back out middle of the season um, and they'd just gone into the Champions League that year. That was 2015. So they were going in to play Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, Shakhtar. And then it was, of course, it's the youth league as well. So I flew straight into that and we were going. So we were traveling to Paris, Madrid, which was lovely just from a, from a, from a personal perspective to go and travel around Europe almost straight away. Um, and yeah, that was, flipping hell, that was 2015. So seven years ago, I'm wow. still here and I've got a Swedish passport now so I can travel a little bit more flexible. But, um, but no, it's flown past really.
0: Mate, seven years, that's quality. And, and in that time, obviously, your role was changed because when you first went out there, I, I'm, I can't remember your official role, but it was more academy-focused, is that right? Yeah. And then obviously now um, with the first team, and I know we're going to discuss some, some factors around that, but what are some of the biggest changes for you that you sort of felt with that transition?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, like you said, I came in as academy SNC coach or the academy S&C coach, because there is there is still really not, there's a little bit now, but there's still really a, uh, yeah, a pathway or a profession for S&C coaches with academies. They've still got it with most first teams, especially in the top two leagues that they've got fitness coaches. But um, back then there certainly wasn't anything with youth teams. So I came in as the youth team fitness coach. And again, that came from their first entry into the Champions League in 2014 when they went and played I think some Greek clubs some Italian clubs, and they pinpointed from the board perspective that they felt that they weren't physically there. So they put a little bit of finance towards that of bringing someone over. I was lucky enough to come in as that person. Um, And that was the first, yeah, up till 2020 that I was, I was the lead fitness coach for the Academy and uh, a one man band for a a good couple of years. Um, Then Myself and and the lead fitness coach, Ben Rosen, who's left us now. um, We started, to yeah, how are we going to move this department on? And we we, we started an internship programme firstly within Sweden and then we opened it up to to Britain as well. And we linked up with a few universities. I think game-changer performance, we had a few guys over from there. So then it became myself and an intern, um, an intern with the first team. So we had sort of four of us in the department. Um, and then that 's developed a little bit more to sort of part time roles within the academy to support the to the lead s and c coach and and you can imagine that i mean i was I was down there for five six years from a complete blank canvas where there was absolutely nothing um, so we managed to do a real good groundwork and base and foundation to to get it in in the place that it is now teaching the coaches about s and c sports science. Um, periodization, how we plan weeks, getting the players used to strength and conditioning, um, GPS, and just the stuff that they weren't getting before. Um, and and the club is 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 the aim is to try and be like an Ajax, like someone of that standard, to be a club where we create this this pathway of top class academy players who come through us, and then. They probably get to our first team for a year or two, and then, and then we and then we we sell them on as well to to make us sustainable that way. Um, and and that's what we've created, or what we created back then was this nice sort of funnel up to the first team, um, and then uh, I think we left it in a, a pretty good place. We wanted to be the there or thereabouts the best department in Scandinavia. Um, there's a few clubs who are there with us, but I think we we probably were. Um, and then Ben left and went to Copenhagen across the water um, and then the question was asked if I would be interested which of course I said I, w- I would be interested to to look at it and also but my thing was I would like to go in as well as to oversee the whole pathway from top to bottom um, it was probably a right time for me to to move on to something different just to get that different stimulus. It'd been like I said, five or six years, putting that all together, that blank canvas up to, right, we've got this sort of um, process now in place. Um, And of course, the club did their due diligence and went and looked at other fitness coaches for the first team as well and then came back and said, actually, I think, yeah, we'll we'll go with you. Um, So that was exciting for me 18 months ago that I went in with the first team. um, Yeah, and sort of took over this role of head of performance, if you like, of course, my daily stuff is with the first team, but then setting that structure from us all the way down for the academy with process we put in place, um, staffing, and we, I think we will talk about a bit later with sort of the interview processes we put in place and and putting the right people in the right positions. Um, and and yeah, of course, it's such a different role. I spent maybe seven years of my life working in athletic development. Um, You know, developing players, having that time to to help players grow physically and have those players that are so enthusiastic because they want to make it to the first team level. You've got time. You can make mistakes, of -hmm. course, with academy players. Um, And almost, yeah, you've got a routine. As an academy member of staff, you've probably got a day off a week, which doesn't change. So you've got a little bit more of a normal life, if you can say that. You might have a Sunday off every week course that can change but and then switching over to a first team role where it is yeah it is totally different and it's very very chaotic and everything really is about three points at the weekend and winning titles and and getting into Europe and keeping players fit healthy and yeah and interested Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah it's it's completely completely different than what it has been the first seven years but like I said it's probably something that I needed at the time a new stimulus in my life something a bit different um and it is a totally different role you know you probably think going from a you're still a fitness coach from the youth team I'm leading the academy up for the first team but it is it's a lot more individualized you've got maybe we've got a squad at the moment it's quite big at, we just started pre-season 24 26 players but I've come down a little bit but you know, you've got players, 20 players on different individual programs where maybe in an academy, it's more of a bucket groups. You've got three or four different groups within squads. Uh, you can manage this. You can manage this. We've got these players doing this where it's now it's how can we keep Ben fit? How can we keep Ben on the pitch? Um, we've got a gym session, but, you know, Mark's doing something totally different to the rest of the group because we're modifying him. He, he can't do this specific exercise or he can't load vertically or whatever you know so it's yeah it's very very different but it's also super interesting
0: I suppose with that as well though being at the club and not only being at the club at that length of time but seeing and being in control of how the program has developed over that time obviously working closely with Ben when he was at the club it's got to be a big benefit then looking from your position now down to the academy and fully understanding it hasn't it not going into like a, a new club and yeah, you can see the systems and stuff that have been put in place, but you know everything that's happened over that period of time. That's got to be a big benefit, surely.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that time, I mean, Ben at the time was also going away with Denmark. He was going with the national team, so they made it to the World Cup. They were travelling for, well, you know, there's like six international breaks through each calendar year. So during those times, I would be up with the first team. So I already had that, Um, knowledge if you like of what it takes to be up in that first team even if it was only for a week at a time or when the world cup was on it was two months and they changed the manager at that time so it was like new head coach came in ben wasn't here so it was me and the head coach straight away that was the first face he had you know so i already had that little bit of shit i need to know how to deal with a brand new head coach who's going to change everything um and and like you say, now i can look back down the tunnel have a look, have a look what has been done i can see what is needed for players to come up to the first team and and I, I think we've we have done a good job in in the past i think you can see that now we've got the they do a lot of over here they group players by the calendar year they're born so we can see now we've got sort of born 2003s coming up into the first team and you can see those ones born 2002s 2003s that Physically, they are, yeah, they're completely ready for us to work with when they get to the first team. You know, they can load very well, they move very well. Whereas maybe if you get a player in from a random country who's coming in straight to the first team, you've got a bit more time that you've got to put into them to get you to get them where you want them to be. Um, so that's quite good. And and of course, the people that have come in and taken my role with the academy, they've got completely free range to develop that however how they want to you know I don't want to go and say stay like this yeah. this is how I set it up you know we've got we've got a great firstly when I left we got a guy called Matt the Pledge top class it was a bit of a coup to get him over to Malmo to get a top practitioner over Matt's moved on now and we've got um, a guy called Miguel over who was at St Mirren in Scotland so again we're still trying to get top quality practitioners over to come into that role so Miguel's come from St Mirren Really, really um, very good coach and loves working with growth and maturation. Um, did his master's as well. And he's, he's been at Cardiff Met. So he's, he's had that quality of lecturers who really go into the growth and maturation of things. Um, and that's what we're looking for, is that top top quality practitioners to come in. And, and now it's up to Miguel to develop that, uh, the procedures down there as he sees fit, but obviously on our guidance of this is what we've been doing over the last couple of years. You can change it as you see fit, you know?
0: Yeah, brilliant. I was going to ask as well, can you give a little bit overview in terms of how the staff structure has changed? on Obviously, sports science or, or s S&C, because I know there's been a big transition from, I, I'm guessing it was probably just you and Ben initially. Um, yeah. Or if anyone else was involved, obviously you can, you can give a bit more information around it, but then how it looks now as well.
1: Yeah. So I think if you go back to, I mean, the year before, 2014, so what's that, eight years ago, it was just Ben. So it was just one fitness coach. Then I've come in 2015, so we've got one at either end, one with the academy, one with the first team. As I said, then we were playing with the idea of internships. Um, so we got a couple of guys in from the UK um, and now we, we've we pushed that on a little bit. Now we've got um, a, a part, we've actually just, He's about to start. He flies in today, actually, ironically. We've got someone to come in and we've, we've started a new sort of side of the academy. So we want someone to come in and lead our 14s to 16s, a lower end of the academy to give Miguel a little bit more of a um, focus on the upper end, those transitioning to the first team. Um, so we've got a guy coming over to lead the lower academy. Um, and we've also got a a, a women's team that, the club, and I think we it wouldn't have been there when we spoke last time. But the the club is owned percentage wise by the by the supporters, fifty one percent, so they own a, a chunk of it. And the club wanted to put in place a women's team. We were looking to take over, maybe takeover is not the right word, but there was a local team who were at a very high standard already. So the, the question was asked: Do we take over this club, as as Malmo FF? Um, the supporters said no; they would rather start at the bottom and work the way up, um, which was absolutely fine. So the club said, "All right, let's do that." So the, we started a women's team right at bottom, but of course, because we are the biggest club, they were able to bring in some really good players already at like mm-hmm. the sixth tier of women's football. So there was people who had played in the college system in America, like top standard here in Sweden, because they were going to play for Malmo. Yeah. So the club said. Straight away, all right, we're also going to make our staff in the same level. So we're going to have maybe three coaches, a goalie coach, a physio, a fitness coach. So we've also put in that now as well. So we've got, his name is Jared, who's coming over. We've got him from Notts County. So he's just finished his, um can't even think of the English word now, by the way. My English is all <laughs> over the place. I've lived for so long. But yeah, he notices the word I'm looking for. He's just finished yeah. his notice from Notts County. So he'll come over and he'll lead. The women's team and also the 14s to 16s brilliant um bottom part of the academy and then you've got Miguel who'll oversee the whole part of the of the academy and that link coming up to us with the first team and then up with myself we've got another brick called Jamie who's taking bit of a, a bit of a focus on the rehabilitation side of things and the S&C with with our injured players um who works full-time up with me with the first team so there's um, four or five paid staff with us we've also got some working with the girls so the academy girls um, teams and then we've currently got three interns um, who are two working down with the academy we've got one up with us with the first team uh, we can talk about that a little bit later when it comes to interviewing and how we're going to bring him over because I think that's quite interesting how we brought him over but so it's effectively seven of us now if you look at it like that that Okay, eight years it was one. It was one, and historically before that, it was always one fitness coach. So, we are trying to push it to be the best. You know, to have um, the best provision with all players, so they get quality from fourteen-year-olds all the way up to to when they're thirty-four. You know.
0: Yeah, no, it's brilliant, and we talk about reflection a lot on the podcast. And for you personally, that's got to be pretty pleasing to think about the amount of opportunities you've given people. And I know it's, it's improved the programme by getting people involved, but also to give people that opportunity, it's got to be pretty pleasing to see the amount of people in roles now.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's something that we, you know, an in internship is, is a difficult one. It's a touchy subject you see on, on Twitter and everywhere as well. But, you know, the guys that we've had over, we've had a couple that have stayed with us because they're too good to let go. They made themselves indispensable at the Club of Brun. And we've gone to the club and said, look, we need to keep this guy yeah. or girl. They're top class. You know, we need to keep them in the role. We've had some that we've had one that's just left us. who have gone to Iceland to, to lead a role over there. We've had a great coach that came in very early. He's gone back to Southampton to, to go work with their academy. So some have gone to New Zealand. So they've had that opportunity to come. And, and also, it's not very often you get the ability to go and do an internship Away from the UK, you know, and yeah. go and experience life in Scandinavia away, and, and Malmö is a good place to to go and do that.
0: Yeah, no, brilliant. And on those um sort of hires of staff, you've obviously talked a lot about the skills that each practitioner brings to the role, or even the different roles that they've gone into as well. But I was going to ask from you in terms of characteristics you look for, because you'll you'll get interest from a number of, of staff and obviously skilled members of staff as well. But through all these people that have had opportunities at Malmo that catch your attention, what are some of the sort of key characteristics in terms of their personality that, that sort of stand out for you?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's a fun one as well. I think that when you look at it, when you step back and look at it, I do think that when we're, yeah, when we're recruiting, as, as we do in football, we, you know, it can't be left to the HR department. It's not like, you know, uh, a librarian or whatever that we've got. It can be left to a specific department to recruit. I think that it has to be left with the fitness coaches who are currently in place and the head of performance or the head of sports science or medical, because it's firstly, it's going to be us that are going to be working with that person day in day out. You know, you yeah. need to know that you can trust them, and I think that's a big thing. A few people say. You, you need to be able to go for a pint with them. I, I, di- I agree with it, but I also disagree with it. You've also got to, you've got to know that. I mean, for us, as I've talked about at the start, we've had a massive COVID outbreak in the last couple of weeks. You've got to know that if you're down, someone can step into that role and you yeah. can trust them to, to keep the ball rolling. Um, and also to be there, you know, to be there consistently throughout the year when it's dark days and it's long hours, you've got to be able to trust that person. To, to be in the role. So not only are you going to be able to get on with them, yeah, surely you're going to go for a pint with them as well, but they're going to be good practitioners and you've got to be able to trust them massively. Um, but I think Alex, Alex Cross said it a little bit. I can't remember a podcast a long time ago about having the right people in the specific jobs, um, whether it be coaching medical or fitness coaches about there should be specialists working with academy athletes. There should be specialists working with first-team athletes. We shouldn't just see it as performance staff or fitness coaches because it's so different working with academy players and and the first-team um, athletes. And I think one thing that is my pet peeve is when, when we have put jobs out there, whether it be we've done a lot in the last three or four months, is recruiting for, as I said, that new 14s to 16s role, the women's role, the with a couple of internship roles that have gone out, my pet peeve is when we're, it's very clearly, and that's why I put it myself, is you must have a passion for working with adolescent athletes. Yeah. And and one of the questions that comes back is, will I have a chance to work with first team players? (laughs) And it really annoys me because I'm, (laughs) it's so clear that we really want you to love working with those, those level athletes. And there's some great practitioners out there who are so passionate about that. So that already for me call it a bit brutal but I that's like a big all right no like you're already off if you said that and it sounds brutal but you know how many firstly how many people are getting churned out of universities now and then you've got to filter that down to who you're going to speak to whether it be at the moment it's it's zoom and, and and google meet or whatever but and then you're, you've got to narrow it down. So if you're looking for someone who's passionate about athletic development and they've already said they want it, like, what's it going to be like working with first team? Then it's already a little bit annoying. So I would like straight away someone who's like, this is what I want to do. So our first team, as I've said, Jamie, who's he's from the UK as well, um, on his interviews five years ago, he was we gave him the question because we had two positions, academy or first team. and He was like, I want to work with first team. There is clear, crystal clear yeah, and no, no, no messing around. I want to work with performance sport and that only. And, and the same with academy level adolescent athletes. I want, to, I want that, that drive to develop athletes, have time to work with them um, because they're so different. I think you need to, if you're working with a first team, you need to have thick skin. Um, you need to be able to take responsibility when stuff goes wrong. You need to, and we talked about the word banter as well before. There's a lot of joking and messing around with first team athletes and when they're all in the gym together and you need to be able to, you know, knock off some of that that comes at you. You need to to take that on board um, in in intense pressure situations when when games are tight and you need to do things um, quick and drastically. You need that person who you can trust, right? We need to get this done now, not someone who's going to be a daisy picker and looking up at the sky and And on the flip side with an academy recruit, you need someone who's got you know soft skills who can deal with a hundred different athletes of different backgrounds um, potentially be that multidisciplinary sort of approach where sometimes you're a fitness coach, sometimes you're a psychologist sometimes you're a, you're you're looking at someone's come to you and they're they're talking about their, their, their girlfriend's finished with them you know you you need to be able to almost be coach a parent a guardian and everything with with these academy athletes um but first and foremost you need to be a bloody good coach if you're going to work with the academy athletes because that is going to be the bulk of your time is be on the pitch whereas a first team fitness coach or snc or really rehabilitation specialist yeah you'll have a couple of hours per day on the pitch and maybe a, a half an hour in the gym but the majority of the time, he's going to be also looking at sports science on your computer, looking at trends, data, speaking to coaches. So maybe you need a bit more of a specialism, being able to deal with adults and the questions that come at you from a head coach, whether it be, yeah, what, what's the food looking like down in Marbella next week? Or why is this player got a problem with their blisters on their heels? You know, it could be questions like that. Whereas an, as an academy fitness coach, all I want to know is that can you coach for six hours a day? Are you a top quality coach? Can you manage 35 kids on a cold November grey morning in Malmö? Do you know what I mean? So there's, yeah. And I try and draw them out of, it's very difficult nowadays over our video calls, of course, but can you try and draw some of those qualities out of the people we're interviewing to see if they're the right fit for us over here at Malmö?
0: Hey, that I was literally going to jump in when you first started mentioning that and ask, like, if coaches are listening, how how would they know who they want to go in and, and have the confidence, like you said before, to to say I want to work with academy players or I want to work with first team players? And you've answered that absolutely perfectly because I, I think that was a, such a good breakdown for coaches to hear because you've talked about the differences not only with the characteristics that you need and the coaches should listen to that and be like and question whether it is something that fits with them. Because in the first team environment, it is very, very different, isn't it? If you don't have the thick skin and you don't have the sort of ability to control a, a big, boisterous group of, of players, like it's, it's yeah. going to affect what you do, isn't it? Whereas your skill could be, and it's not a, it's not a, a regression or a negative at all, to so be working with players that are in the development stage of the career, And be spending, like you said, spending more time actually coaching, developing these players, getting them ready. I think we fall into the trap a lot of the time, don't we? On what you mentioned before, where coaches think they've got to go academy and then end up in the first team. And personally, I I agree with you. I don't think it has to be the case. I think we should, people need to realise where their skills are and the impact they can have on both.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So no, I think yeah, I think you brought that down perfectly, mate. I was going to jump in with questions, but you basically just answered them all. <laughs>
1: Sorry, I was just waffling on. Sorry about
0: that. No, brilliant. It was really good. <laughs> um, yeah, because I was going to ask around the skills and characteristics of first team and academy, and I think you, you've tackled that perfectly. So we'll move on to some of the recruitment now, because I think um, there'll be certain people on both sides of this. Coaches looking to recruit, um, going through that process, and obviously there will be. Hopefully, this will go out to so a lot of people that are looking to land the next opportunity as well. So hopefully you can give a bit of advice to both. But yeah. there's a lot of noise. like you. When we talked about some of the um, topics to discuss, you mentioned about the noise in recruitment, and I fully agree, there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff out there, isn't there? So how do you go about sort of ignoring all that and getting what you want out of the people that you recruit?
1: Yeah. But yeah, like I said, this last three or four months we've done a bit so it's been as well as finishing the season with all the, the madness of off-season programs and dealing with a, a peak of I mean we won the league on the last day of the year this it was literally the so the last game so it was it That's was chaotic celebrations. yeah it was crazy <laughs> so you can imagine that on top of having to recruit x amount of people as well and as I said I wouldn't change it because I want to know and I want to lead that process of who we're getting in the building. I wouldn't want to leave it to HR or X to get that person in. So, yeah. And, and I think firstly, you're going to get applicants who just see the job, especially if it's advertised through the club that we're looking for a fitness trainer. If it's not via myself or other um, colleagues on Twitter or whatever, if it's, if it's ab- advertised through the, through the club, we're going to get, you know, Joe blogs applying it for it. Cause they've worked at a local gym with, or or a couple of football players, and they think that they make the new fitness coach. But we are we're looking for top quality recruits, whether it's for a pay position or or an internship. And I think if we just take internships, if we go for that specifically, because otherwise we're going to be here all day. I think that even with the roles that we put out, we were getting like hundreds of people applying that want to come over from. We put also put it out to lots of European. Um, countries as well we had a lot of applicants from portugal from spain uk a little bit not as much now with brexit and there's a few different issues with that but the amount of applicants we get across i think that there's so much noise um and each individual has got to try and paint a picture of themselves to you from step one of that coming in that applicant coming into your to your inbox to potentially their last interview if they make it that far Um, and the first steps are of course and I know that some people have done some great work on this I think Callum Walsh did quite a bit on CVs and covering letters and there is some great stuff I think Matt Jones as well but um, you get CVs that are like five six pages long and you're thinking you know if this is myself who's working in pro sport I haven't got the time to read 50 CVs that are six pages long yeah so I, I firstly wonder, and there's, of course, great universities out there, and I, but I wonder, could we be a little bit better with helping students with skills to apply for jobs, not only teaching them about pro sport and what it takes to work in pro sport, but getting that foot in the door? Because I think, I won't mention the universities, but we had a few that have come through from specific universities. And it's it's been, I've looked at myself and, and my colleague who works with the first team and said, we can't take any of these from Mm. this specific university it's like they're rubbish Mm. it's a shamble so i think that that cleanness of the first application whether it's one or two pages of a cv it's it's information which is important you know if and by that i mean not that you've worked nights in tescos um but if you've worked a friday night for two hours working with the local rugby club that is way more important yeah i'd rather see that if you've traveled and what gone to Uruguay to, to coach with a rugby team for a couple of months, you paid for yourself to go to Spain and work for a month on a work, on a, a work placement. I'd, I'd much prefer to see that than yeah, that you've worked in H and uh, M H&M or something for a couple of nights a week. So I think those cleanness of the application um, and then it comes to the covering letter, not just waffling on about, what you did as an eighteen-year-old, how you think that your skill set would fit this—like, can you keep that to a page? And then basics of getting the person's name right, especially if if it's stated. <laughs> and I'll move on to this in a minute because, as you can see, I'm getting annoyed <laughs> about this. But getting—if it says this is the—if it's saying Ben Cartwright, then write it to ben cartwright don't write (laughs) dear sir or madam because i already know it's to you (laughs) and then one thing that really annoys me is please email this for specific details and then there's information on linkedin you get people messaging you on instagram twitter and it's like it specifically said email do you know what i mean so if you're if you're going through linkedin you're already out for me yeah you've got to be concise follow the instructions be super clean with your cv um Club name—is the club name wrong already? Oh, like, this, there's so many small details of all of these little things. have got to be. It does. It's not. It's not rocket science. It's basic things to try and get you through the net and get you up to these application processes. Um, and then, like I said, the ones that we've gone through recently, and and it is difficult because you've got to try and judge someone as a coach for a video call, which in itself is very hard we've been very lucky with that recently and so I think that it's working in some way and we had that discussion with um, our academy SNC and the who said, should we get them to video themselves coaching and and I said, well, we got you and we yeah. didn't watch you coach and you're a top class coach. Yeah. I think you can draw things out of, of, of course, you've got to go get your references and speak to people who know them and see, are, actually, are they a good coach? So that's important. Um, but, yeah, when we come down to the interview process itself, we, we've done a little bit of like, here's an here's a scenario. Can you give us a, firstly, like a PDF back of how you would coach the situation? And then we'd get them to go through it. And a couple ones that we've had recently are, the ones I've loved is ones that when we've questioned and said, do you think that's appropriate for this specific group at this time of the year in this weather? And the ones who've gone, you know what? No, now I've thought about that they scrapped that and they've talked about a new one on the spot. And I thought that's exactly what I want because that's what you're going to get. It might be, you get to a pitch and the coach goes, that coach is sick with Corona. Actually, you've got 60 kids deal with that. You know what I mean? So it's, if someone can already in an interview process, change their, their session plan and give the reasoning behind it in the space of five minutes while they're nervous. And we're talking for an intern as well. Mm. Then, like that, that says so much to me. Um, and then and then also, and this is a difficult thing as well, but finding the right type of intern who's not overqualified because you'll get a few that have already been at three clubs and you're thinking, why have you been at three clubs? Why have yeah. you got a role? Yeah. And also you've got ones that have no experience. So you also want, you want one in the middle ground who, who is going to learn, come in and learn from what you've got in place, but also give you a little bit as a club um so it's super super tough but yeah that's my thoughts quickly around it i know and the, C- the cv and the cover letter ones are so so blatantly easy to cut away when you have those five or six pages um just a total mess and e- even coming across in different languages like you have put the applicant application out should i say in english and the application coming back to you is in spanish you think yeah but if you did any research, you'd know that I, where I'm English, I can speak Swedish. I definitely cannot speak Spanish. So <laughs> why is it coming across in Spanish? You know what I mean. So just basic little things.
0: Make sure to go and check out our online community. We're having members joining all the time from right around the world of football. It's pretty humbling. We've had um, practitioners in the last few days even join from over in Czech Republic, from Spain, Faroe Islands, Hong Kong. Absolutely all over the world, including um, practitioners in the EFL up in Scotland. Like there's there's practitioners from everywhere getting involved in the community. There's some great content on there from our network meeting presentations. We've got some loads of great webinars from some incredible practitioners available on there as well. So make sure you go and check it out. If you've not already had your free month, go to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign up there, it'll give you one month free so you can scroll through all the content, see what's available on there and after that free month it's only £4.99 per month going forward and when you become a full member you get added into our WhatsApp group. There's been loads of great discussions in the WhatsApp group recently as well so make sure you come and join us, go and check it out, footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there and get yourself a free month. Here's part two of the podcast with Mark Reed. They, well, these things though, they, they probably seem little to a lot of people, but like, like the names and the name of the club and all that, they're just mistakes that shouldn't, they well, not even mistakes, are they? they're just things that shouldn't be, shouldn't be done because it, it, that person going into that role, if that's how the, their standards are set, like It's not going to align with what you want. And I'm not, I don't even mean just you, I mean any club. Like There's yeah. going to be situations where they're not going to deal with things that well, are they? Because this is obviously where their standards are at. But then yeah. when you said before about the showing the ability to sort of adapt to maybe critically think and sort of think on the spot and all that sort of stuff, I think people forget that that is such a good skill to have. And it's a bit of like, transparency in an an interview as well isn't it to say that I'm not just going to have all the right answers in front of me I'm going to be human I'm going to make mistakes and and show that I can actually adapt and that's obviously and I get why that will be impressive because that's like the nature of majority of roles isn't it
1: yeah and and that's and, and when I said like you've got to from start to beginning that you've got to paint this picture of yourself. And I think that's so important. So of course, if you're, if you've messed up, you're out already, for example, let's say you're not, you've not made the cut, but you have made the cut. You've made the interview process. Even up to that last time you hang up the phone, like can you leave a lasting impression on the, on the people interviewing you? Yeah. We, I, I think three of the people that we've got in over the last four years have been people who didn't get the role the first time round yeah but because they've left such a good impression we've gone back to them and and i, I mentioned it earlier on so the one one that we guy we're going to get in when we come back from a training camp soon um we interviewed him for an academy role um a rugby player someone uh, who's working with olympic sports lives out in austria uh in holland but he, he's like half austrian um and we Myself and the academy sports scientists, we went through who we we're going to take on boards, um, and we took someone who we felt was more um, suited to the academy side of things, um, who had more coaching experience with young athletes, adolescents, had a better understanding of growth and maturation. But then over Christmas, when we had our off season, uh, we spoke as a department about possibly getting an intern with the with the first team this year, and um, we didn't have one last year, but we thought about it and. Without advertising the role, I already knew that this guy that we had, that we had interviewed for the academy role, um, this guy over in, in Holland, that he would be absolutely perfect for the role. As I said earlier, he had that, that aura of being able to work with first team players. Um, very open, very friendly on the interview process. And you already feel that you could chuck him into if someone was sick with a, with a COVID or he could he could bounce off first team players. You know, yeah. and it wouldn't be a problem. He could be the butt the, of the jokes, no problem, and he wouldn't take it harshly. So yeah. we went back to that guy and we said, look, we think you're more suited to the first team role. Would you be interested in coming over um, to join us in Sweden? And, and he'll come out and join us in a couple of weeks. So you know, even, even if you haven't got the first role, make sure you leave that lasting impression because it might come back in, in whether it be a couple of weeks or it might be a year away. Um, that they come back to you and, and maybe ask you the question
0: and again that just comes back to standards and how you come across doesn't it because you might move on to a different role and then something might come up at a different club or you might have a conversation with um, someone at another club who's got an opportunity and then you just don't know where these things are going to go do you and I spoke to um, Jordan Tyro a few episodes ago and, and his role that he's just got now has come from a similar sort of circumstance. So it just shows that, that that sort of thing happens and people going into these interviews need to understand that, don't they?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, and it's, it's not, yeah, it's not, okay, I didn't get the role, it's done. You know, They might come back to you and they might give you the shout or, or it might be, we, we, we did a recruitment drive three years ago and we couldn't find anyone. Um, but I'd spoke on, on Zoom to to someone a couple of months before just just a general chat who reached out and said do you want to jump on a call I've got half an hour and then it was right we've not found anyone for the role who would fit this academy role as I said great soft skills but actually this guy I spoke to a couple of months ago he might be interested so I reached reached out to him and, and sure as heck we got the other guys in spoke to him on zoom and then we recruited him in as well so yeah even like your meeting like the um, like the network meetings, if if you, you paint yourself in a good manner, you know, and someone picks that up, but actually that actually that guy was top class. He, I could really work with him or I could see him working with a group of 14-year-old athletes or then it'll pay off in the end.
0: Yeah. Every conversation is an opportunity, isn't it? Like, you just don't know where it's exactly. going to go, whether it is on Zoom, whether it's in person, whether it's on a t- touchline two minutes before a game or, or after a game. Like, you just don't know where these conversations are going to go, do you? So you, you've got to keep your standards up and, and like you said, make a lasting impression because you just don't know where that will benefit you in the future. Exactly. Brilliant, mate. I think we've covered some top stuff there. We couldn't, I was going to jump into the quick five, but one thing just before we do do you A for B go in Swedish? <laughs> That's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. That that, was, I think we
0: spoke just on that. I think we spoke in the first podcast about obviously being in Sweden and learning a new language and stuff. And you've been there seven years now, so obviously you've you get into a, a good position in terms of language now to be able to do a qualification like that.
1: Yeah. No. Yeah. It's well. I think my my level of Swedish is I can understand a lot now, so I can I'm almost fluent in being able to understand and listen and be in meetings no problem at all which is good um helps i've got swedish misses now as well so we're getting married out here this year
0: brilliant
1: um so that helps big time of course is family get-togethers and stuff where we've got to speak swedish so that that's pushed me along a little bit but um but going going back to the yeah the cpd stuff i think we touched on it before but i think working in football you you get to a point maybe it's elite sport in general but I certainly get back from a week, even if you, the week, I mean, what is a week anymore? You know, almost all <laughs> into one, but there's, for me, CPD's become, it's very difficult to get home, sit down and read about something like I, yeah, the brainpower is gone from the amount of energy you put in at work. So for me, it needs to be, I need to get away from football. Firstly, would it be a totally different sport. It might be going to, a physiotherapy conference it might be something totally irrelevant and different um, and that's been the last probably since the last time I spoke to you about getting a, away from Sweden not going back to the UK much for CPDs but like traveling around Europe and I've done quite a few of the exos bits and gone to like Germany and France and and really just I mean I did one of the five-day ones in Rassing in the in the rugby club and everyone else was French. So it was only me that was English. And uh, the presenter was American. So he spoke in English and then everything was translated in French. The whole, the so whole five days. So my brain was totally fried, but <laughs> what an experience, what yeah. an experience. So um, just getting out of the norm, really, it's for me, because I, I really struggled to get home and just be like, right, I'm going to read about whatever. I'm going to read about, collagen or this nu- nu- uh, nutrition or, or or acute to chronic ratio. like I really struggle with that. So I need to, for me, and it can be very, people might disagree with me, but I need to get away from the norm and, and try and go and do something. And then last year it was, right, let's let's completely go away from physical preparation in total. Let's go and try the UAFA B. And I tried to get on one in the UK. I know I just said not come back to the UK, but I thought it'd be easier to get back in. I had lots of good things about the Welsh cafe and trying to get on that one. But because yeah. I was now a uh, international applicant, they only took on like, I think out of 15, it was like two and a half people. I don't know where you get half a person from. And I think the two, uh, the two internationals was that after I found out was like Michael Balak and Dante, the, like two experts. I was like, no wonder yeah. Mark Regan got on a bloody course. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? so? I don't see it. So, I don't yeah. see the reason. so exactly. So, then, <laughs> right, it's going to have to be Sweden. Okay. So, then I, I started one here and then I had to come off it because of the new role with the first team and it clashed a little bit. So, I finished it this year, like um, the second half of the modules. But what an experience to get out of the comfort zone. Firstly, to get my head more inside of, inside of the technical and tactical side of football. Um, because, again, people disagree with me, but the way I sit and watch games is I'm watching, right, if Ben's got, I can see Ben's got a little niggle as a left back and I'm on the bench. I'm just watching you for like three minutes. I'm not even watching the game go on. So I totally watch football on a match day, totally different to the coaches. I'm really looking. And and then I'm talking to the assistant manager, what are we're going to make. So I rarely have the opportunity to actually watch the game tactically. So that, to go to do that, firstly, was a big challenge and, and really got me out of my comfort zone. Um, but then to do it in another language um, was super tough. So luckily, they let me coach for my assessment in English. Um, and of course, there was, there was loads of better coaches from a technical and tactical perspective there than me. You know, there was loads better than me. But what I did bring to the table was organisation, Mm-hmm. Um, communic- clear communication so my session was pretty organized and we're going to do this I'm looking for this like direct regain of possession you've got like a five second rule to win the ball back so I made it more of like a constraints-based approach um, so uh, you know I brought something very different to the table from a coaching perspective but yeah it was super out of the comfort zone and I think for me the way I'm going to go forward with CPD will just continue like that to do not to just go down the route of more football, um, more research based around football to really just go out. You know, we went to Barcelona with Ben, actually, before he left Malna to go and uh, go on a tendinopathy um, conference in Barcelona for like three days. And realistically, the most people there were doctors and physios. So we were like, we understood about 40% of what they were talking about. (laughs) But the 40% that we learned was really nice. You know, it was really eye-opening so just to get out of that comfort zone and go and do something different quality
0: that's awesome mate we'll finish up with some of the quick fires so the first one being I know it's always hard for people to narrow it down but who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far
1: um, I think for the first role model working, was my first boss really Ryan Morgans who that first year at Swansea to get to see him work, he was top class, really, yeah. really good. And I'll go back to you know, go back to West Brom and the different the, the class in like subunits we had there. Like Matt Green on the pitch as a pitch-based fitness coach, top class. Organization-wise, the way he used to set out stuff, and you had uh, Barnsey, head of sports science, who was who was so lucky that we got to work with him and learn about GPS. Um, monitoring sports science and then Nick was coming into the club, Nick Grantham, more of the s side. And and that was for me when I reflect on coming into this first team role, how he, because he came in about half the way through, I was at West Brom about how he tried to change the, the culture of S&C to get players yeah. into the gym, um, to keep it very simple, very clean um, with regards to programming, not, never over complicating it, um, but making small steps at a time, you know, you don't have to go in completely rip apart a program and say, we're doing three sessions of the week, but how can we get those guys in the gym? How can we keep it competitive, creative, um, using this specific technique to drive intensity? Um, so, yeah, although it sounds boring, it probably didn't changed since last time I've, you know, spoke to you, but those, those guys have left the last impression on how I've got to now for sure.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Some top names there as well. Um, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner?
1: Uh, probably haven't got any, maybe. How do I? Don't know. I don't That's know. definitely not true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think organization, I think variety on on last year, I think we did. The clear the clear thing coming into last year was we wanted every match in minus one to be a different drill, different warm-up. I think we ended up doing like 60, 58 different warm-ups and, and still to drive that intensity with the group. Because, I mean, it's almost, I probably forgot to say this earlier, but working with the senior players has almost gone full circle than working with the young guys, where it's a constraint-based approach. You get to like 19, 21, they, you sort of they know what they're learning okay we're working on max speed today and it gets back to the first team players and it's they don't really care yeah i think kia said something on twitter the other day about this they don't really care what what you're doing but so all right then it becomes you've got to create something to 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 make them do what you want them to do so it becomes more of a constraints-based approach whether it be like a this is a deceleration zone and 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 you've got to win the race but if you leave that zone you're disqualified so yeah. then you've got right we're working on aggressive decels because they want to win the race but then they know they can't leave the box so they've got to slam on the brakes um and everything everything becomes like that with the boys because they just they just want to win so the the intensity's there and then yeah so it's because i think that's it that's the strength of mine is developing new ideas or variety to try and get to get around those constraints of, and, and to how do I say to yield the physical attributes out of the first team players because they don't they don't really care you know in some way they just want to perform be fit and, and compete with each other first yeah. and foremost especially the older guys and they're the ones who bring the competitiveness of you when we watch and I try and do that to watch warm-ups back and watch our sessions back to see what I could have done better. And um, we use a speedo a lot so you can hear yourself talk. Like, what have I said wrong? What have I right? That was pretty good. I'm going to use that again. We'll put that away in a log. Um and the older players, they drive intensity really, really well. So you almost don't you know if you put on a drill that they'll drive it themselves and they'll pull everyone along with them because they hate to lose. Yeah. And it might be older guys versus the younger guys. And it's just those little things. But yeah, I think waffled on but organization variety creativity with, with stuff we do with the first two players and then of course there's loads of stuff which I still need to get better at for sure um and that'll never stop I don't think
0: no no I don't think it does in, in any role does it so man, I think there's been some great stuff in there some really really good stuff and it's nice to sort of see the progression not only in in roles but in uh, skills and, and the progression at the club as well. We've, like I said, with the hires that you guys have managed to, to get in place, I think it's really impressive. So, um, yeah, fair play to you and everyone that's been involved in, in that whole process and where it's going to be going forward as well. Um, in terms of opportunities that come up at the club or just keeping in touch with you and, and what you've got going on, where where do you encourage people to look at? Would you say social media? Is it, where do did, where did jobs go out? Do they go out on the club website?
1: Yeah, the, very rarely we put it on the website. I think we, we only put the the one out recently to try and we we tried to... By the way, how dark has it got? Can I just say that? <laughs> that that's what I mean when I say it's got grey and dark in Sweden. Like, it's pretty much it's the same, it, to here.
0: be honest. <laughs>
1: um, um, no, what was I saying? So, yeah, we, we very rarely put it out to... I would normally put it myself and my colleagues to put it out on Twitter and those things. This time we put it out to through the club. Um and that was something as well that actually we didn't touch upon was that is a large majority of the time why we go to the UK um and other parts of Europe to get especially specialists in growth and maturation. Um because it's it's just not here yet. We interviewed quite a few people on um basic fundamentals of peak up velocity um, etc etc and it's very very clear that the universities in the UK are doing a top job on educating people on working with children and adolescents that the people who had not gone to university in the UK um, were miles behind in the interview process so that's something that we need to improve in Sweden as well and something that the UK needs to give themselves a pat on the back for because the guys who had been to Cardiff Met, Hartbury um, St. Mary's, etc. There's, of course, there's many more, but they, the level of understanding already, even if they're just leaving uni, of beat velocity growth and maturation was so much higher. The guys who've been for the UK, but um, and that's that's normally why we put it on on Twitter and, and yourself when we give it to you guys to um, to give it to the guys who come to your network meetings and and everyone who follows you to get that reach. Because, yeah, you've obviously got such a good reach now as well that we can get a really good level of application. But normally, if it's not on Twitter, um, but I think my handle is underscore readmark. Um, yeah. Otherwise, otherwise my email address is mark.read at se. So always happy to jump on a call if there's time. There's not much time, but I try to make some space here and there. Um, so don't kill me if I don't get back to you within a couple of days but i'll try and get back to everyone as soon as possible
0: and if anyone's looking to work in an academy there and sees mark over in the uk be nice to him because that's your opportunity
1: (laughs) yeah exactly
0: (laughs) no mate thank you very much that was uh, absolutely quality i think we've covered loads of great stuff in that um so i really appreciate you coming on and um it, it was good to catch up
1: yeah thank you very much we'll leave it another seven years
0: No, no, can't be as long (laughs) next time. (laughs) Thanks, mate. All right, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Mark. I certainly did. I think there was some absolute gold in that one. And like I said at the start, especially the stuff around and the different skills needed for working with different groups of players I think was really, really beneficial and a big takeaway. And you need to go back and listen to that. It was around the 30-minute mark. Go back and listen to Mark talking about that again because some absolute gold in there. Go and give Mark a follow as well. He's over on Twitter at underscore read Mark. Um, in this one, I think there's some main takeaways. Obviously, I've just spoke about the different skills required, but I think one of the first things is that we need to look, when, you, when you're looking for the next opportunities, a hell of a lot of opportunities out there outside of the UK. Mark's obviously moved seven years ago, and he's developed this really solid program now that has obviously not only developed players, And um, they've, they've had some big performances in Europe, Malmo as well, against some top teams, but it's created a lot of jobs for practitioners as well. So he's really took advantage of the opportunity that he got over at Malmo when there was only a few staff, and obviously there's now a full um, team of staff over there too. So look outside of the sort of usual areas we'll look for jobs, and these opportunities are out there. He spoke about the difference between academy and first team, obviously with the skills, like I just mentioned before, but also the fact that it is more individualized with the first team, that that first team players require that more individual approach. Um, He said about some interns making themselves indispensable. And I think that's, if you are an intern or if you're looking to do an internship, take that bit of advice. Going to the club thinking that you need to become indispensable. And by that, I mean, When your internship finishes, the club don't feel like they can get rid of you. And they they will hopefully offer you something because you bring so much to the table. Um, Also, the the application process, something we spoke about before. I remember speaking to Des Ryan about it. He spoke a little bit more about the, the interviewer's side of things. But when you're going into an interview, the basics, Mark was talking about names, names of clubs, things like that. Like, you've got to nail those because you've got to set things off on the right foot. And if you don't, that's not going to give a good impression. And then when you do get the foot in the door, that's the time to shine, time to impress the person interviewing as well. Um, and then, just finally, the other thing, which I spoke to Jordan Tyra about as well, is that Mark talked about some of the, the um, appointments that he's made with staff have come from previous interviews where people have been somewhat unsuccessful. But in a way, they've been successful because obviously the interviews that they've had previously might have just been that they didn't have quite enough experience or whatever it was at that time. But it's led to an opportunity in the future. And again, if you're going into these roles, these interviews, that's what you've got to go in with. You've got to go in with the the sort of to make an impression. It might not be there and then in that specific role, but you never know where it's going to lead to in the future. So, plenty again to take away from this episode. I know I always say that, but really enjoyable chat with Mark. Reach out, let us know what you thought of it because I think there's some real good information in this one. Um, and give us a share on social media. And also if you haven't done already, please head over to iTunes. Just leave us a five-star review of a short comment about the podcast. I really appreciate everybody doing that. And I hope everybody has a good week and I'll speak to you again in episode 173 next week.